This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 32, Sukanya and Kyavana. Last time, we heard two stories, one of Rishishringa and the other about Ramajamadagnya. I talked a little bit about the theory that the story of Rishishringa made its way to the West in the form of the legend of the unicorn. The story of Parasurama also merits some comments. First, Rama is one of the three fighting Brahmins in the Mahabharata, the other two being Kripa and Drona, the tutors to our heroes. Rama stands out among them as the one who is not only a match for the Kshatriya nobles in war, but was actually vastly more powerful. By dint of his longevity, Rama feuded with the Kshatriyas and killed them off 21 times before his Purgu elder finally restrained him. There is a sense of great antiquity about Rama Jamadagnya. By the time of our story, his killing days are long over and he seems to have a ghostly quality in his visitations. Some traditions place his genocide of the Kshatriyas at the juncture of the Treta and Dvapar Yugas. The sense of decline, especially in the qualities of the Kshatriya nobles, is underscored by a speech Krishna gave when encouraging the Pandavas to kill Jarasand. I think I quoted it back then, but here's the pertinent part. Krishna said, Those which are called Kshatriyas today were born after the Kshatriyas were wiped out by Rama Jamadagnya. These new Kshatriyas have declared their lineages by their own authority. Krishna's meaning was that it would be no great sin to depose a king like Jarasand, since his descent was questionable in any case. While it still seems strange that among the greatest warriors of the Mahabharata are three Brahmins, one point seems clear. The lineages of the Brahmins were much more ancient and reliable than those claimed by the Kshatriya caste. Getting back to our heroes, the story of their pilgrimage resumes with a long poem listing the many sacred places they visited. I did not try locating the sites, but by the end, the Pandavas end up at Prabhasa Ford. Prabhasa is now known more commonly as Somnath, which is one of the great pilgrimage sites in southwest India, in Gujarat province. If you've been following along, the Pandavas have been traveling eastward to the shores of Bengal, where they met Rama Jamadagnya last episode. Now, suddenly, they are on the far western end of India, at the southern tip of Gujarat. I guess their journey through the south was uneventful. If you have a sense of the geography of the Mahabharata, you should know that Somnath is in the same neighborhood as Krishna's famous citadel, Dvarka, and thus Krishna and Balram popped by for a visit. This was a very pro forma meeting in which Balram expressed his outrage, Krishna reassured him, and Yudhishthira restated his vow to wait the full 13 years before making a move. I'll spare you the speechifying, since that's all there was to the meeting. After the speeches, they each went their separate ways. Krishna and Balram returned home to Dwarka, while the Pandavas went south, finally stopping at a ford on the Narmada River. Lomasha pointed out that once the gods had gathered here at the Narmada to partake of the Soma, this was where the Ashvins first took the Soma and became first-rate deities. Yudhishthira wanted to hear more, so Lomasha told him the story of Sukanya and Kyavana. Lomasha said, The great seer Bhurgu had a son named Kyavana Bhargava, and this glorious man performed austerities near this lake. Rigid as a post, the splendid ascetic maintained the vira pose and stood in the same spot for a very long time. Over the years, an ant colony moved in and soon their anthill covered most of his body. He is overgrown with vines and covered in ants. Years later, a king named Saryati came by the lake with his harem to play. By now, the vines had become trees and the trees were blooming. One princess, the king's daughter named Sukanya, strolled by this flowery anthill admiring the blossoms. Kavana watched from the midst of the brambles as Sukanya's friends walked away, leaving the comely wench alone with the anthill. 
The grizzled little man admired her looks and became enamored with her. He tried to speak, but his dried-up throat only made a croaking sound. The girl peeked into the brambles curiously, then grabbed a stick and poked the old man's lascivious eye. The Sada's reaction is a bit surprising. He was angered that he'd been poked in the eye, so in revenge he made the king's guards constipated. The king soon discovered that his soldiers were unable to piss or shit, so he instantly suspected that someone had been messing with the sadhu. Saryati summoned his women and asked them who had disturbed the old Bhargava. The women all swore their innocence. The king then interrogated the women separately. Observing that the guards were uncomfortable and her father worried, Sukanya finally stepped up. She said, when I was wandering, I saw a creature staring out of an anthill. I thought it was a frog, so I poked it with a stick. When he heard this, Saryati rushed to the anthill and bowed before the withered old ascetic. Please forgive me for what this stupid girl did. Kyavana Bhargava replied, If I receive in marriage this your daughter, I shall forgive you. Saryati didn't hesitate. He handed over the troublesome girl and rushed back to check the health of his soldiers. Like all the princess brides we've seen in this series of tales, Sukanya was a surprisingly compliant bride for her crude and severe husband. She served him and maintained his guests loyally. One day, after several years of this marital bliss, Sukanya was out bathing when the twin gods, the Ashvins, came by and saw her naked and beautiful in the water. They waited until she was done and then asked her who she was and what she was doing out in the woods and all alone. Sukanya replied modestly that she was Saryati's daughter and the property and wife of Kyavana. The Ashvins were astonished and laughed out loud. They asked her, How is it that your father handed a beautiful girl like you over to that dried up old sadhu? Why does a noble woman like you wait upon a decrepit husband who has long past the joys of love? Why don't you cast off that old Kyavana and marry one of us? The girl bowed before the twin gods and said, I am devoted to my husband. Do not cast suspicion on me. I guess immortality and omnipotence combined to create strange pastimes, because the Ashvins then suggested that they could make old Kyavana as handsome as they were. Sukanya obediently checked with her husband, and Kyavana approved. The Ashvins said, To finish this, you must jump into the water. The old sadhu gamely jogged down to the river and jumped in. The Ashvins followed on his heels, and they also jumped into the river. After some splashing, the three equally handsome young men emerged out of the river. All three men spoke to Sukanya, saying, Choose one of us for your husband, whichever you desire. The virtuous Sukanya opened her mind's eye and chose the man who stirred her heart. Her choice was, of course, her husband, Kyavana. Kyavana was so delighted with this turn of events that he thanked the Ashvins heartily, saying, You have endowed an old man with youth and beauty, and I may now enjoy my faithful wife. I am pleased with what you have done for me, and in return I shall brew up a pot of soma just for you guys, and you shall drink the soma in the presence of the king of the gods, Indra himself. This I swear to you. When news of his daughter's fortune reached the palace, King Saryati rushed down to the hermitage to congratulate his virile son-in-law. Still in high spirits, Kyavana told the king to prepare the ingredients and the sacrificial terrace so they may hold a soma sacrifice. On the next auspicious date, Kyavana performed the soma ritual before the king. Summoning the Ashvins, Kyavana poured a cup of soma for each to drink. Suddenly, Indra appeared and stopped the Ashvins from drinking. Indra said, these two nasatyas are not worthy of the Soma. They are healers to the sons of the gods, and thus their occupation precludes them from this honor. Kyavana said, You know that the Ashvins are gods just like you. Do not despise them. They have made me superior like an ageless celestial. Indra argued back, but Kyavana was done with arguing. 
He had already poured a second cup and was holding it out for the Ashvins. Indra shouted, Stop, or I'll blast you with my thunderbolt. The king of gods drew back his arm to strike, but Kyavana paralyzed his arm at a glance. The priest then turned to his fire and prepared his magic for battle. Chanting long-forgotten words of power, Kyavana summoned from the depths of hell a monstrous asura named Mata. This was one of the really mean guys from when the universe was still young. He was capable of eating entire planets for breakfast. As the creature realized he had been set free in the world of men, he looked around for something to destroy, and spotted Indra there with his fighting arm already incapacitated. As the beast charged at him, Indra said to Kyavana, The Ashvin shall deserve the Soma, just help me deal with this beast. Having succeeded in extorting Indra, Kyavana lifted his spell and subdued Mata. He could not kill such a powerful creature, so he divided his power and restricted it to the vices of the world, namely liquor, women, dice, and hunting. Thus, Mata lives on, but is unable to harm the virtuous or the abstinent. The Ashvins then enjoyed their first cup of Soma, while Indra presided. Indra said, Just as today you helped the Ashvins qualify for the Soma, so did I set all this up, so your power could shine forth, and the fame of Sukanya and her father will spread throughout the whole world. That ends the story of Sukanya and Kyavana. The narrative moves on almost immediately to another story about Mandatar. Lomasha simply announces that they have now reached the banks of the Yamna River, where the mighty king Mandatar once worshipped. This story is so brief as to count as just an anecdote. It begins with his father, Yuvanashva, a mighty king who had performed a thousand horse sacrifices. Despite it all, he had no sons. Since they didn't have fertility clinics, the king did the next best thing. He went to Bhargu Hermitage to practice yoga until he had a son. Yuvanashva worked out relentlessly while the Bhargava priests worked on a solution. One evening, all the, well, one evening while all the hermits were sleeping, the king called out from one of his yoga poses for water. He was so parched from lack of food and sleep that no one could hear his voice. Finally, Yuvanashva untangled himself and went in search of water for himself. Looking around one of the huts, he found a pot of water on the shelf and drank from it, then poured the rest on the ground. He then drifted off in a blissful sleep. The next morning, King Yuvanashva awoke to a big commotion. The Brahmins were running around looking for the pot of water. The king told them he had drunk some and tossed out the rest. The priest said, Don't you know that we have been preparing this water for months to give to your wives so they will bear you sons? Since fate is everything and the spell cannot be undone, you shall yourself give birth to a son. After 100 years had passed, the king's side split open and out popped a baby boy. The king miraculously survived the explosion. Indra, whom they call Chakra in this story, appeared and offered his finger to the baby to suckle. Thus, rather than having a mother, the boy was nursed by the god Indra and was named Mandatar. It says Mandatar grew to be a giant in size, and when he became king, he conquered the four directions. That's about all they have to say about Mandatar. If you've been following all these stories since the Pandavas began their tour of the fords, you might have noticed that, with the exception of Nala, the hero of each tale has always been a Brahmin, and usually the Brahmin hero had an obedient Kshatriya wife. This has been the pattern of each story until this one about Mandatar. Still, the Brahmins demonstrated that they could even replace a woman's role in childbearing if needed. There are still more stories to come, so I'll put off any attempt to make generalizations about them until the end. Just suffice it to say that so far, Mandatar and Nala are the only stories that have a Kshatri as a protagonist. That's all for now. 
There are a few more stories to go, but soon we'll be back to the main story as the Pandavas go looking for their brother. Thanks for listening.